So we're in the book of Philippians this morning. Philippi is a city in what we call northern Greece today. Paul visited there on his second missionary journey. And if you recall a few weeks ago, it might have been on a Sunday night, I can't get my mind to come up with exactly when we talked about this, but Paul and Silas were in a town and a girl who was demon-possessed was following them around yelling all the time. So eventually Paul cast the demon out of her and this makes the townspeople mad who are making money off of this and so they riled up the entire town which threw Paul and Silas into jail. And there was an earthquake, and all the chains fell off, and all the doors opened up, but nobody ran. And the man we call the Philippian jailer, we call him the Philippian jailer because he lived in Philippi. Go figure, you know, (laughs) how difficult that is. He lived in this town of Philippi. Of course, he comes in and trusts Christ as his Savior, as does his whole house. Paul and Silas leave basically very soon after that. But these believers are there, and obviously, uh, you'll see in this passage of Scripture, there was more communication between Paul and, and the church there, these people at the t- in the town of Philippi. Now, Paul is writing to them. After all of this, he's writing them, and that's what we're going to read here in Philippians chapter number 1. We'll read the first six verses. Paul and Timothy, the servant of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't typically give suggestions on how to take notes or how to write notes, but this morning I want there to be no mistake in the direction which we are going. In the past 10 or 15 years, I have developed the habit of capitalizing any word that I write that refers to God. In English, we typically capitalize proper nouns, specific names, exact names. But out of respect for God, whenever I write any word that refers to him, I capitalize it, even the pronouns. I try it, and any word that refers to God, I try to capitalize that, to set him apart out of respect in my mind. So this morning, your title, if you write one down, should have three capital letters. The title of this morning's message is, the worker and his work. The word the should be capitalized because it's the beginning of the phrase. The word worker should be capitalized and the word his because we are talking about God and his work, not man and his work. So it is the worker capitalized and his capital work. The worker and his work. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. There's been lots of truth this morning that our heart needs to gravitate toward and grasp. There have been some distractions, Father, that would keep us from focusing. We ask that this morning you would put all of that aside and that your spirit would teach us that we would hear you 
in our heart, taking us where we need to go. Father, we don't have anything to purchase what we need. And our needs are so great that if we gave everything we had, we could not buy the needs of one person. But in the Lord Jesus, we find the one who answers to our debt. The Lord Jesus has gone good for our debt. And in his name we ask that these things be provided for us. For he has already purchased all that we need. So we come for that, Father, in the name of our Lord. Amen. Our focus this morning is verse number 6. So let's reread it here. Verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In our world, we're not always exactly confident in the work that people do. I had surgery a few weeks ago, and I just have to say that after some things that happened before I went into surgery, I was not all that confident that the guy knew what he was doing. Well, it ended up that he did, I think, if all I know, but it just I didn't go in with great confidence into uh, that surgery, in the ability of the surgeon. I've done a lot of construction in my life. And so if you do a lot of construction, you start to notice other people's work. And almost always, when I walk through, especially a commercial building, I look at the work that is done and I think, I wouldn't let that guy within 100 miles of my place if that's the kind of work that he does. Of course, I walk through my own home which is made up of 99% of my own work. And I say, boy, Vanderhart, why did you do that? That is terrible work. In our world, there isn't a lot of confidence in the work being done. But Paul, in verse number 6, expresses absolute confidence in the work that God does being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How can it be? How can Paul have so much confidence? Better yet, how can we have the same confidence in God's work that's taking place in our lives? Let's examine what we know to be true and develop the confidence that Paul had Let's develop that same confidence in the work that God does. Number one, the, help, the thought process or the thought that helps us know we have confidence in God is the skill of the worker. The skill of the worker. In any job that has to be done, there are easy jobs and there are difficult jobs. There's easy parts and there's difficult parts. Last week, my furnace went out. There ended up being three problems. One, the batteries needed to be changed in the thermostat. Two, it ends up that the thermostat needed to be changed. And three, the exhaust inducting blower motor, which is inside the furnace, needed to be changed. Now, I dare say that almost everybody in here would say, hey, I'll change the batteries in your thermostat. I think I can do that. Not a difficult job. 
the changing of a thermostat. In shop class, we taught the students how to change a thermostat. It takes about 15 minutes. They actually did it. It's not that difficult. Almost everybody here with a little instruction and a screwdriver could do that. I'm looking into a crowd of people that I'm guessing there might be a half a dozen or a dozen who would dare to take the induction blower motor out. Well, there's some who might do it. <laughs> Who's like, oh, I don't think I'd let him work on my furnace. Um, but there's a few here who would say, you know what? I'll do that. I can get into that furnace and I'll, I'll replace that. Now, I did that. That's as far into that furnace as I want to get. I'll just tell you that right now. You see, there's in each job, there's jobs that anybody can do, or it's not that hard to do, and then there's jobs like, whoa, that is over my head. Okay, you understand that? The skill of the worker determines what jobs they can do. So I want to ask you this morning, in any work, there's harder and easier jobs. In verse number six, you're the work. How tough of a job are you? You are the work that God is doing. So how tough of a job are you? Now our answer to that will vary greatly. And almost all of them will be wrong. Because we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves with the people around us. And then we think about ourselves in terms of what we would be satisfied with. And we come up with something like this. Well, I'm not all that I should be, but I'm not as bad as X, Y, or Z. I'm not quite what I should be. I wish these weren't true about me, but you look, I'm not as much work as that person over there. If I asked this morning, how many of you, I don't, I don't raise your hand here, if I ask this morning, how many of you here are totally satisfied with yourself? You are totally, I am who I need to be, and there's nothing that needs to be changed in me. I dare say, if we ask that question, nobody would raise their hand. And I will tell you this, if anybody did raise their hand, everybody else would be looking at you like, <laughs> ask me about it, and I'll tell you what needs to be changed. So none of us are satisfied with ourselves, and we shouldn't be. If I asked you today, with a raise of hand, and don't raise your hand, how many know somebody who's worse than you? They got a lot farther to go than you do. Obviously, everybody here would say, I know a whole bunch of people who are, and no names, please, but I know people who are worse than me that need. So, we have those answers, but the questions aren't the right questions. We look at ourselves and say, with a little more work, or if I just change a few things, I would be satisfied with myself. But did you know that being satisfied with yourself or being liked and accepted by others isn't the standard? That's not the right question. How much do you have to change in order to be satisfied with yourself? That's not the question. Perfection is the standard. Jesus Christ is the pattern. So lay yourself next to him and compare it. Measure yourself next to perfection. How do you measure up? Now, if you're honest at all, you'd look at that and you say, there's no way. 
That's not possible. That is impossible work. I could never measure up. I could never be like Christ. That is impossible work. But that, my friend, is the work. And yes, for you it is impossible. But with God, this is not. It is the skill of the worker that determines the amount of work that can be done. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot be what you should be. But Paul's confidence was not in the work, but in the worker. What skill does the worker have? It is skill of the worker that changes the equation and brings confidence. No, I'm not a mechanic. I do basic repairs on my car, and I've actually, I have rebuilt a few wrecked vehicles. But I do not consider myself a mechanic. Several times I've had to take vehicles to an actual mechanic. I have to say, that hasn't been a very successful thing for me. I took my car to a guy. He had it for two weeks. He was trying to get the check engine light to go out in the dash. After two weeks, and having to take it to an electronic genius guy, the specialist that he knew, so two weeks and $1,000 later, he comes back with, we can't figure out what the problem is. The problem was due to too difficult. I did have another mechanic. I bought a car off him. He solved the problem. He just pulled the light bulb out. <laughs> that wasn't exactly what I had in mind. That's the cheaper solution, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> um, but one guy, he says, I, we, we have it, but we can't figure this problem out. You're just going to have to live with that dash light on. Okay. I took another vehicle that I just bought to a mechanic. And he said, haul it to the junkyard. I just bought the thing. He said, haul it to the junkyard. He says, you can't get the parts to fix that thing. There's no way for me to fix it. <laughs> okay. I took another car to a very skilled mechanic. <laughs> these, these, his words ring in my ears. He took one look at the car, and he says, somebody already ruined this car. I didn't tell him it was me, okay? <laughs> he said, somebody already ruined this car. So he says, I'll make it down, get, go down the road. I'll chicken scratch this thing together, but it's not worth fixing right. Just a piece of junk because somebody already ruined it. My problems on my vehicles were beyond their skill, their ability, or their willingness can I state categorically this morning that you are in far worse shape than any of my cars? But God is able to do the work required. He doesn't scratch his head and say, I don't think I can figure this out, or I don't think I can get the parts, or I don't know, it just ain't worth the effort. He looks at you and says, I can do this. It is the skill of the worker that gives us confidence. He is able to do the work that needs done in your life. Number two, the worker is determined. He's skilled, but he's determined. I told you a while back that in my garage, I have what I call the pile of shame. I have two sections in my garage, both of them at about two foot by four foot. And look, I like to tinker in my garage. It's what I do for, to relax. 
and I like to start these little projects and build things. And so I find this project and I start working on it. And then I'll either run into a problem that I didn't foresee. This is going to take a little thinking, so I set it aside. Or I just get tired of it. This is not as, as fun as I, you know, it's more fun. I, I found this in life. It's more, it's more fun to start a project than to finish it. It's much easier to start than to finish. And so anyway, so I have these two sections of my garage. To keep my garage from getting overrun by this stuff, I have two sections of my garage called my pile of shame. When I get tired of working on this thing, I take it over there. I just stick it if there's room. If there's not room, I've got to make room. But I put this thing in my pile of shame because it's just not, I don't want to work on it anymore. I'm just tired of it. Now, this is not that big of a deal because one of these days, my kids will walk into that garage dealing with my estate. They'll get a dumpster, and they'll just throw all that stuff right in the dumpster, and it'll all be done with. And so there's no big deal here because these aren't important things. It's just things that I started to try. But my determination, my desire to finish them, sometimes diminishes. I start real well, and then it just kind of tapers. How many have the same thing that you do? Liars. Anybody with their hand down? <laughs> I want to see your pile of shame. Anyway, anyway. You know what? When God begins a project, he sees it through. He doesn't give up. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get, lose interest. He doesn't get sidetracked. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep at it. He's determined to keep working. And so he does. The worker is skilled, but he is also determined. Number three, the worker has a goal. The worker has a goal. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I have to tell you, I am a clueless kind of a person. I go through life clueless. And then all of a sudden, I run into reality. It's like, oh, yeah, duh, that's the way that is. And so, I don't know, maybe you're too clueless too. But I didn't realize for a long time that the world is basically made up of two types of people, artist types and math types. Have you realized this yet? Maybe you're as clueless as I was. There's two types of people in the world. There's artist types and there's math types. Now, I'm not talking about people who can do math and people who can draw. Okay, that's not, it's a mentality. It's a way of thinking. Okay, there's artist types and math types. A math type person, I happen to be one of those. You see a project. Okay, this is what needs to be done. And so you put the project together. You have the time frame you have, you have the money that you have, you have the resources that you have, and so you put the project, before you start, you put the project together in your mind, and you come up with, this is the end result. Okay? Then you begin to work on it, systematically. And when you get it done, to the original specifications, you're done. Okay? Now, it may not have been the best, the most ideal, it, but at the time when you designed it, that's the design, and so you work, to the, and that's the end of the project. When you get it done to what you originally designed, you're done. And if you're done early, great, you go on to the next project. If you get done late, then you work your way through it to get it to where your original specifications. That's a math person. 
An artist person doesn't start that way. They see the same project, but they don't come up with a set design. Time is what determines them. They know that the project has to be done down the road. And so their goal is to make the project the best, always changing it for the better. And there's always got to be a better idea. So they work at it, but they're working at always trying, they're, they're not set with their total design. And the end of the project is when they run out of time and they have to get it done. This is why they're, an artist type is always running at the very, very hard at the end of their project. Because time is what the determining factor is. When they run out of time, it's got to be done. How many understand what I'm talking about? Okay. How many figure their math types? Just curious. How many say, I think I'm an artist type? How many say, I haven't got a clue? <laughs> there is combinations of those. It is very difficult for art types and math types to work together because the whole process is a different process, the way that you, you approach things. You, just by the way, learn to work with the other group. This is all an aside. If you don't, you lose something. Because the, the math guy will get it done, but the art guy adds the flavor to it that makes it as the best possible thing that could it be. The math guy, he's just going to get the thing done. It's going to go down the road. Okay? But the, the art guy will make it beautiful and make it more enjoyable. If you leave it to the art guy, you may be walking. Just, you know, <laughs> it'll look nice as you push it down the road, okay? So the two of you have to work together. It's sometimes difficult, but in your job, in your work, you'll have both of these types, and you've got to learn, and it, you kind of butt heads sometimes because you're coming up, but you, both sides are, are important. Just, that was all for free. But think about this. God has a goal. It was set out in Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God set out the plan right from the start. I am going to conform these people to the image of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. I'm going to conform them to the image of my son. This is from the very beginning. That's what he's going to do. And he hasn't varied from that plan at all. Guess what? It is a workable plan. God wouldn't start off on anything that's not workable. That's not doable. He decided. Not you decided. He decided that he could conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Isn't that mind-boggling? It's not you said, well, that's what I want to be. It's what he said, that's what I'm going to do. He set out the plan. He hasn't varied from it at all. And he's not changing it because you can't change perfection. He's already said, that's what I'm going to do. And Jesus Christ is the pattern. There's no improving on that. So art type, math type, it doesn't matter because there's no, there's no altering the plan because the plan is already perfect. And it's the plan he started out with. 
God has chosen to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He looked at his own skills. He looked at his own time frame. He looked at all of the material that he had to work with, and that's what he decided he was going to do. You say, I don't get that. Welcome to the club. You don't have to get it. You just have to believe it. That's what he has decided to do, to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. There's no need to alter this plan because it cannot be improved upon. Jesus Christ is the pattern. An intelligent worker never makes a plan that's beyond his skill, beyond his material, or beyond his time frame. God has that plan for you, and he's working that plan. This week, when things happen in your life, and you want to ask, why is this happening in my life? Why is this taking place? I can give you the answer already. God is at work in his plan to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the plan he's working, and that's why whatever's happening in your life is happening. He is allowing it because it's part of the plan that he has designed to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. So when you look at your life this week and say, why is this going on? Know the answer. God is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. You know what that does for you? It takes a lot of the sting out of some of these things you're facing. It's not just happenstance. It's not just this bad neighbor or this guy at work. God is using whatever it is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's the plan that he's got. He's skilled enough to do it. He's determined to do it. And he has the goal of doing it. Number four, the worker has a deadline. The worker has a deadline. Very few projects that we work on have no deadline. When your boss assigns you that job at work, he may not actually give you an actual date that's got to be done. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But there is an expectation that sometime everybody kind of knows when this has got to be finished. We're remodeling the, the bedroom at home. The project has multiplied way beyond what it was when we started. It's supposed to be a two or three week project. It's now into three or four months. It's not the same project that we started on. My wife has been very gracious. She hasn't been nagging or whining or any of that. But you and I both know. <laughs> there is a deadline. We haven't put that on the calendar, but I'll know when it gets there. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you're all married. You know how this works. Okay, there will be an obvious deadline. When I've crossed this deadline, I'll know, hey, that should have been done. There's always a deadline. Even that junk in my garage on my pile of shame has a deadline. No, nobody cares if it gets done, but look, my clock is running. And when it runs out, my kids are going to come in with a dumpster and load the stuff up, and they're not going to finish the projects. They're going to the dump. So they have a deadline, even though there is no technical deadline, it seems like. Everything has a deadline. The worker has a deadline on his work. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
the deadline is the day of Christ. There's two, two determining deadlines which will mark the end of the work being done in us. Either the day of Christ, the rapture of the church, when Christ returns for his own, that's one of the deadlines, or our own death. All of us have a clock that's running, and when the clock runs out, the work is done. Either one of these events will cause the end of the work in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that a quarter of the work is going to be left done, or half the work is going to be left done, or three-quarters is going to be left done for all eternity. In that day, we will be presented faultless before the throne of God. It's very encouraging. In that day, you will be presented faultless. So the temptation is to think, well, why rush now then? What's the big hurry? If in that day, all of this is going to be taken care of and I'm going to be presented faultless before Christ, then why worry about getting it done now? Now, we could discuss the judgment seat of Christ. We could discuss the giving of rewards, awards. We could be discuss the well done, thou good and faithful servant. We could discuss the casting of crowns at the feet of our Savior. We could discuss the ruling of cities. All of these are real and legit legitimate, although we don't understand a lot of it. But let's look at this from a different standpoint. In heaven, we will all be alike. We will all be conformed to the image of Christ. No one will stand out for all eternity greater than the other. No one will be influenced or changed by our conformity in heaven. Nobody's going to be changed by that. Why? Because they're changed too. So we'll all be alike in heaven. But right now, while we are drawing breath on this planet, we are surrounded by people who are not conformed to the image of Christ. We can show a stark difference in our lives from the people around us. At this moment, that difference can make a difference. The difference in us can make a difference for the people around us. At no other time than this time will we be able to stand as a testimony of God's work as we can right now. When we allow him to work, when we embrace that work, when we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that work that God is doing is on display for everybody to see. And my friend, that work draws others to the Savior. But the fact of the matter is we're on a tight schedule. The deadline looms. Christ could come at any moment. And the deadline would be then. But if he tarries, have you checked your clock lately? Have you not been confronted already with, boy, doesn't life run fast? Boy, my clock is really running. Time is of the essence because your clock is running at a very rapid pace. There is a deadline already in place. 
God is a skilled worker. He is a determined worker. He has a goal and he has a deadline. So let's make this bottom shelf practical. God is a skilled worker. He has the ability to do what he has set out to do. Quit trying to do it yourself. It's beyond your skill. Quit trying to conform yourself to the image of Christ. Quit trying to be the person you think you ought to be. God's the skilled worker here. Put yourself in his hands. Let him do the work. Trust him. It is his skill. Put yourself in his hands. Trust him to do it. Number two, God is a determined worker. Quit fretting and stewing about whether the work is being done. Place yourself entirely at God's disposal. Do you know that he knows the best way to get this done? And the honest truth is you haven't got a clue. God's ways never run the way we think. And you think, well, this is how I ought to be conformed. This is what ought to happen to me. That ain't the way. I'm just telling you right now. God knows the best way. So quit chomping and stewing and wondering and, and just trust. He has set out to do this, and I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to embrace what he's doing. I'm going to let him do it. Quit fretting and stewing. God is determined to do it, so let him do it. He has a goal. He has a goal. You know what that means to you? Give up all your plans. Your plans are not his plans, and his plans are the best ones. <clears throat> Give up your plans. Make your plan his plan. His plan is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can come up with a better plan than that, Let's have at it. What is a better plan could you come up with? What better use of your life can you come up with than that? Now, I know you can waste your life. Everybody around us, you've not seen that happen? You look and think, what a waste of life. Well, you're just as capable as everybody else in doing that. But God will not waste your life. He has a goal. It is the goal. There is no better goal. And he's capable of making it happen. Give up your plans. And let him do his in your life. Realize that you are on a very tight schedule here. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to conform you to the image of Christ, and so there is no time to lose. Throw yourself entirely into the work that God is doing. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know why it came into my mind. Maybe because I was watching Leave it to Beaver, and they were talking about this. But do you remember when you were a kid? It, I came into my mind about, I think we must have went to the county hospital or something to get our immunization shots. Would that have been true down in South Carolina, Mom? It was some kind of a 
Do you remember going to get shots? When you were a kid, you knew you had to get shots. Do you remember that? Oh. <laughs> oh. To have to go get shots. Because there's anything worse than knowing. I mean, when you get there and you didn't know you were, that's what you're going to do. That's not bad. That's, that's bad, but not as bad. But when you know they're going to give you shots when you get there, that's terrible. That's, anyway, that idea, keep that in your mind. Do you remember when your folks said, hey, we're going to go pick up your birthday present from the store? Remember that? Now, put the two thoughts in your mind, okay? The goal where your folks are taking you is this, it's determined, right? You're, you're not, there's no getting out of this. You're going, that's where you're going, right? Is the journey the same? The journey, you, you can see yourself as a little kid, your folks are dragging you, <laughs> almost literally dragging you down the hall to the county nurse. Why? Because this is going to be painful. Versus running out in front of your folks. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Let's go. Do you understand? The difference is in your mind of what you think the result is, whether you're fighting or running. Now, the illustration has, has difficulties, but it gets your mind in the right direction. God has already determined, I'm taking you from here to here, to the image of my son. You don't look anything like it right now, but I'm going to do that. That's the work I've got to do. And you can either drag your feet like this is some bad thing, like you had something better to do, or you can run with him as fast as you possibly can, embracing every single thing that he does. You want to conform me. And that's what I want, so let's get after this thing. I'm going to give you every little piece that I can. I'm not going to fight you on anything. I'm going to go with you on every step of the way. This is what determines the speed in which you're conformed to the image of Christ. There's a time frame. We're on a time crunch. There's a lot of work that's got to be done in us. I don't know about you, but there's a ton that needs to be done in me. And I've only got so much time. But I want that work done. Because while it's done here, people around me can see Christ and be changed and be helped. And Christ is allowed to live once again in sight of people that his name might be elevated. Embrace his work. You can have every confidence that he'll do it. Because he is the worker, and you are his work. Let's pray.